Listener Production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. In this episode, we are chatting with Carmen Cazelverer. Carmen talks about how she has come full cycle with her breast implants and how she started seeing some symptoms that led her down the path of becoming a bit more curious about having them. She talks about having the right surgeon for the job of your explant surgery, what she would say to young women about getting implants, and really interestingly, how implants can't stay in forever and creating awareness around the exit strategy is key. You are going to love this next episode of The Wellness Collective. Oh, I need a cup of tea, I think. (laughs) It's been a busy morning already. I know, right? That's okay. We're getting it done. Mm. I like being in here in the studio with you. I mean, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you've got no idea that we haven't seen each other for like, you know, weeks. You've also got no idea that I can't turn my no, neck. No, she can't turn her neck. <laughs> so I'm sitting here, we're doing the thing like we're sitting in the car and I'm in the driver's seat and she's sitting next to me. She doesn't have to look at me. We can do all the deep and meaningful <laughs> I chats. Can slightly turn it. Don't, no, don't hurt but, yourself. No, it's okay. It's getting better. What did better. you do? Oh, I don't know. I do this every now did and again. Did you sleep funny? It's a bit of a combination of things. It likes to just every now and again just have its own way. Was it because you're crunching so much iron? Maybe. No. <laughs> you're a meat axe. This is a problem. <laughs> anyway, hey, today we are talking about breast implant illness and removal. Is that right? Yeah, well, we've covered breast implant illness before in yeah. an episode. Mm. But I feel like, you know, we've evolved and it, whilst it's been, someone asked if, you know, is it a fad? removing your implants. I don't think so. But I think also you're going to learn some gems in this episode today Mm. that we didn't cover with Mel. No. And I think things have evolved and we've got some more perspective when it comes to... God, how quickly do things evolve? Yeah, they do. All the things. Like having a baby now, it's probably completely different to five years ago. Totally. I mean, not essentially, but, you know, the things you're told. Anyway, truth bomb. Yes. I wasn't here for the start of this. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Carmen. I am very much looking forward to hearing a little bit about your journey and your story. Do you want to start? Everyone has a story. Everyone, no one writes a book without having a story, right? That's why we do it. Um, let's talk about that because obviously the book's maybe the, not the end point, but it's certainly partway through. But I guess we are here to talk about breast explant and illness as well. Was your experience that you were unwell because of your breast implant? Well, I started to suspect that perhaps that was the culprit to some of these burgeoning health issues I was having. A lot of fatigue, like so tired. Um, I'm quite a sleeper to begin with, but to sleep 10 hours, wake up, not feel completely rested, or you could only get a few hours into the day before the fatigue set in again. I just thought this is not right. And I've always regarded myself as a very... uh, athletic person, a lot of physical activity. I'm a 300-hour Ashtanga yoga instructor as well. So this was just super uncharacteristic and it just kind of crept up on me. As I started to eliminate these symptoms, many of them could be confused for perimenopause as well. Mm. So I was at a total loss. I started with the uh, hormone scans, blood work, only to find that there was nothing showing up there. And all of my doctors kind of said, well, you know, you're just in your early, early 40s. So we just don't think it's any of that. Maybe it's some um, thyroid. And then they started chasing all these different avenues. And I just had an epiphany one day, like, hey, 
maybe it's my breast implants. They're almost 20 years old and they can't stay in forever. I do have to address them because they're not the fancy new age cohesive gel styled implants. Back in 1999, when I did get these breast implants, they were a silicone shell with saline inside. Mm. So I kind of thought, hey, you know, maybe it's got something to do with that. Maybe over 20 years, that outer shell has deteriorated a bit and now it's leaking or who knows what's going on in there. So I started down that journey and then I started to notice that symptom by symptom by symptom, I had a lot of these. So that's when I decided that maybe instead of going for a refreshment surgery in my early 40s, which would put me at in my early 60s for another 20 years of breast implants, maybe I should just do away with them for once and for all and then maybe reconstruct what I had left and call it a day. But now they were also 590 cc's a piece, which is, I do have nice wide shoulders, so it was okay proportionately, but they were large. And the last five years, I felt like they were just always in the way anyway. Mm. So started to look at those options of explanting without putting another implant in. And what are the options? Because I'm curious to learn about that as well. And I mean, obviously, there's a magnitude of reasons why women would have breast implants in the first place. Often women talk about you know, how it has been tremendous for their self-esteem and their body image. And I, I can't imagine that if that's been your way for 20 years, even though you said that they were starting to get in the way and obviously you were starting to consider other options, what that feels like in terms of identity of who you are and getting your head around that. So how was that? Like, obviously you made the decision, you had them removed. Were there complications? Well, had they, had anything happened? Wow, what a journey. Absolutely. So I just got tired of them. I think for me, after 20 years, I had I had exactly what you explained in the beginning. I had that thrill of self-confidence, that boost to my self-esteem. But after about 10 years, that started to get pretty old. And when I was younger, when I got them, when I was 20 years old, I was an exotic entertainer. So it was perfect for my job. Mm. I made so much more money with them. But afterwards, I left that career, wrote a book about it. Then I started a few businesses with my husband, became a mother, and they were just so hard to contain. I found that it was hard to dress my body to be taken a little bit more professionally. So no matter what kind of like wrap tops, you know, instantly look like a lady of the night, mm-hmm. all of those types of things were lost to me in a business corporate setting. So I just really found them daunting and mm-hmm. starting to get in my way almost everywhere I turned. So I feel like I went full circle with them in 20 years, wanted them, got them, loved them, got tired of them, wanted them out, then started that process. So yes, there's quite a few options when you want to explant your breast implants. So depending on what type you have, so as I mentioned, I had silicone shell with a saline insert. I wanted to take out the entire implant with the scar tissue capsule that forms around it as well. So any type of surgery you get, usually if you have any kind of implant, your body will immediately start the process of isolating it from the rest of your body, usually with some sort of tissue. So my husband even had a broken jaw a few years back and they put a titanium plate in there. And even that has you know tissue that's built up around it to kind of prevent it from totally interfacing with the rest of the body. So it's very similar with breast implants. You're going to have that capsule to deal with. And apparently, if you leave that capsule in when you do your breast implant removal, 
you could still experience a lot of the breast implant illness symptoms because it's kind of like a catch-all concentrate of where maybe that hot spot was in your body. So not only did I not, I just wanted to remove my breast implants, I also wanted to make sure that any tissue surrounding them that was toxic came out with it. That was the tricky part, finding a skilled surgeon that was going to accommodate that as well. So that's what I strongly suggest to anybody going under this Mm. procedure is go see at least two to three different surgeons and see how they would do it. What would be their plan of attack? Mm -hmm. Because it varies greatly. I had one surgeon appallingly to me suggest that I should remove them by coming in one week to the office where he would manually evacuate the saline with a syringe until they were totally deflated and then then leave it there. Yeah. And then leave it there for about a week and a half or two weeks so that he can go in and see a more settled result so that the reconstruction process was, was better. And I kind of thought, okay, wow, you, you would really open up that capsule to 20 year old saline, which who knows what could be in it. Right. And you would be okay with that. So I was like, no, that guy's out. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, so really, and I mean, this this guy is a very well-known surgeon in the city of Edmonton. So I was just actually quite shocked that that was his plan of attack. Then I decided to uh, try out another one in Calgary. It was lackluster. I found the perfect one in a province over from us. So it was a plane ride away. And he specialized in uh, Dr. Miller from Kelowna. He specialized in total implant removal with the scar tissue capsule to come out with it. So it was a big job. And then that's just step one. Step two would be dealing with the reconstruction. So when you have such large breast implants and you want to reconstruct whatever you have left is you kind of need a miracle worker surgeon there. So he actually works on like the little carpels of people's hands and feet and does a lot of that kind of reconstruction surgery. So I thought it was in excellent hands with him, and I was. So how do they reconstruct it though? Where do they? I mean, that's a bit that I can't get my head around because. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you have breast tissue in the first place, it's fine. But a lot of women don't, so I guess there's not a lot yeah. to reconstruct. That's right. You could end up with like keyhole type surgical scarring, where they do a small incision going vertically up to the nipple and then all around the nipple. So that's least invasive. For me, though, because I didn't have a lot of remaining breast tissue, it was the classic boat anchor scar from, you know, one side of your chest wall to the center and then up and then around the nipple for repositioning. But for me, that's what I had before I had breast implants. I put myself back into my 20-year-old self and I found myself again. Mm. I found my body type again that I had not seen for 20 years. It was just absolutely wonderful. And now it's been about two years and my scarring is almost completely gone. And then plus you get to kind of play God with nipple placement. I know everybody has a hard time with that. You can have really small (laughs) booties, but you need to have that nipple at the right spot. So I told my doctor, I'm like, I I came armed with pictures. Designer nipples, please. That's it. I I want them over here. Pretty much, right? I said, I want them like nice and high. And he said, if I go any higher than what you're talking about, they're going to be pointing at the ceiling. I'm like, perfect. (laughs) Sticking out the top of your bikini. Hello. (laughs) Nice to meet you. I've just come in late. It's a bit unusual and I do apologize. But thank you for being part of the Wellness Collective. And hello, Nat. Hi. I've hurt my neck. I can't. Oh, is that what you're doing? I'm like, why is she she giving me nothing? Okay. I I almost considered swapping spots, but 
you weren't here. So I was oh. Like, oh well, it doesn't matter. Oh well, later. That's fine. <laughs> so would you do that again? Like, would you go through that process again? I know. I mean, twenty years, like you said, you came full circle. You loved them. You didn't love them. You had them. Out, <laughs> blah blah. Yeah. In hindsight, it's amazing and what wonderful thing. Yes, but, if, I mean, if I would get breast implants again. Yeah. I mean, that seemed like the, uh, they served a purpose at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They did. They really did. I don't have any regrets mm. as well. At that time, 20 years ago, I went to one of Canada's top surgeons mm. and he did the procedure where they just go through the nipple like with a slight, slight scar. So it's basically scarless. I describe a lot of that in my book as well. I, in fact, I talk about the breast implant procedure with Dr. Waslin in Calgary, quite detailed in my book. So at the time, nobody was offering that in Canada where you did almost a scarless implant process because typically you get the two to three inch scars underneath your breast. So he was going in through the nipple at that time and it was just absolutely flawless. So yeah, he did a great job. Mm -hmm. I did my research. It was well worth it. He was quality had excellent results. And for 20 years, it was pretty clear sailing, except for the last five, when I started to notice that, gosh, they're in the way. You know, I have a teenage son who has teenage friends. You know, we live at the lake. We live right next to the water. And it gets hot here in summer. And I found myself just having to robe up, you know. <laughs> Put him away. It was just too much on to, yeah that's exactly it put them away that's put them exactly away it. put the babies away yeah that's it even though they become a part of you and you don't really think of them that way and I would you know constantly be surprised at what the reactions were so uh, that was just too many things like that and I was like I'm done with this and mm. I don't want to it's been two years I thought I would miss them because I had them for 20 and it's been two years and I and I don't I love the mobility. My yoga practice is... Mm, i say that would be... times better. Yeah. I mean, like Ashtanga is like pretzel yoga, right? So they were very much in the way there. <laughs> so now I can just get into asana so deeply. And I, I love that. I find, yeah, my, my perspective has shifted, obviously, as the sheen of wisdom affords. So... Can I just ask... Yeah, go ahead. How big were they? They were 590 cc's a piece, which put me up to a full double D, which it all depends on how big your, your shoulder span is, your chest wall is to kind of see what size would fit on you. So if you have narrow shoulders and a narrow chest cavity, you're going to need a lot smaller of an implant because 590, let's say on you is going to look ginormous. Mm. So the fitting process is, is definitely particular. And if you have a good surgeon, they help you with that because yep. sometimes people don't know. They just come in with a picture. So yeah, the Dolly Parton scale, like, can I have yeah. those oh, ones wait, please? Yeah. 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 Like that's giant. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like I feel for her back. I really yeah. do. I'm sure after all these years, she's figured out how to hold them up. But she's my goodness. She's yeah. It it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, we do talk a lot about women who feel like their breasts are too small. But then the mm. other side is, you know, the women who have are just born with really big ones and, and what can go along with that? Because it's not easy <laughs> being the owner. Mm. Yeah, it can be a burden, especially I find real breast tissue is heavier than an implant typically. Wow, okay. It's denser tissue. So yep. if you have, um, you know, double D natural breast tissue, it's going to feel a lot heavier than I think with implants. And as well, depending if you get them inserted below the pectoral muscles or above. If you go below the pectoral muscle, it kind of does all the heavy lifting for you. Your muscular activity in that area will keep them in place. So mm. that was as well part of the complication to my removal surgery. 
was to deal with extracting them with the capsule surrounding them in one big piece, as well as repairing the muscle tissue underneath. So taking them out was no big deal. The reconstruction was really where it was at. That was the danger zone to watch out for. you say to young women who are thinking about it? You know, not talking to yourself 20 years ago because you said that, no, it was the right decision for you. But, and especially living by the lake and seeing all the nice, young, bright things in their bikinis and whatnot. What's your thoughts about young women these days? I would say nowadays, from 20 years ago to now, I do find our body positivity and consciousness is higher. I know that's arguable, but truly, I feel like it is obvious that more younger women accept themselves the way they are. They're not so quick to rush to that topicality, um, but it is still very popular surgery and procedure. And so are nose jobs and so are, you know, all liposuction, fat transfers that there's, they'll always be popular. So I say, go for it if that's what you want, but there's a big cautionary tale that nobody seems to warn you about. And this is what I'm here to tell you today is that, they can't stay in forever. So you do have to craft an exit strategy of mm. some kind, whether that be in 15 years, that's providing you don't have any problems with them. If you have them for a very long time, you're going to have to change them out. You're going to have to remove them. They can't stay in there forever. That's so interesting. Yeah, they, I was going to say, I've never heard anyone actually say that, that they can't stay in there forever. Put yourself in you know, your, your future self in 15, 20, 25 years. What type of lifestyle do you imagine for yourself? It's hard to Mm. discern that when Mm. you're younger, Mm. but do factor that in. That's really important. Not a single person really prepped me for that. Do you think people thought about it that way then? Maybe they didn't. Maybe that's something that we've learned as we've gone along. I think also the youth, youth doesn't really think too far ahead. (laughs) You know, they might have a five-year plan, right? (laughs) A five-year plan is like having a 50-year plan to a 20-year-old. So (laughs) I think a bit of problem there. However, most surgeons, every surgeon I've ever been to does do a psychological analysis to see if you're in the right mind space to Mm. even go through the surgery. So I just think that might be another element to tack onto that process is to maybe ask a little bit more about where you see yourself in the future. Would Mm. this still be conducive to your lifestyle, no matter what? So I think that's why a lot of women tend to go a little bit on the conservative side when they are getting breast implants. I'm noticing that. They still want the reshaping. They still want that really nice placement, but they're not going very big. So they're just giving themselves a subtle little boost. Mm. So that might be a nice option too. Don't necessarily think of a double D bikini top, maybe... (laughs) you would look amazing with a, you know, a smaller implant and then maybe smaller troubles are up for you later on. So oh, it's fascinating. You, you do it? have to think about the exit strategy. Like what are you going to do in time? It's very, I like that. And I like that you've raised that point. Is there complications that can come with the explant? Because obviously we talk about all the complications with breast implant illness and we've covered that mm. when we had Mel Ward on the show on the Podcast. when we had an episode with Mel Ward but we didn't really talk about the complications in removal and I'd love to learn a little bit more about that or whether or not you had any complications with the removal. Yes, oh my goodness, I was terrified of necrosis which is tissue dying either due to infection or lack of oxygen or it's just not getting enough nourishment. So that's a big problem with any surgery is infection. 
and managing how you're healing those seams that have been inserted. So necrosis terrified me. I did a lot of natural things too that I feel like I swear by, like Arnica, for example. I swear by Arnica. I think it's absolutely wonderful and really helps boost your healing process if you start taking it about three to four days before your surgery. I don't believe it's too much of a blood thinner, so it should Mm. be okay there. But as well as a lot of collagen. So just introduce a lot of collagen into your teas. You can't eat much anyway. So for those first few days afterwards, yeah, for me, I didn't have any complications. Like I said, I think you can avoid 90% of your post-surgical drama if it's going to happen to you by going to a reputable surgeon. Not everybody is equal. So like I said, I found this surgeon who specializes in reconstruction of anything, Mm. let alone breast tissue. So like he'll put together the carpals of a hand of a small child in a car accident. So I kind of thought, yeah, this guy's got the magic touch. Those types of things. Itty bitty needle and an itty bitty thread. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you want to talk about the suturing too. Like how are they going to suture this? Everybody does things slightly differently. I was shocked to learn that. Tell us a little bit then about your book. You've written a book called The Butcher Shop Girl, which I'm very fascinated to learn how you came up with that title. Mm. Yes, I think you guys would like this book. It's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new bestseller in Western Canada. I'm really proud of that because we've only been published since November 4th of 2020. So to me, it's kind of one of the best things that came out of 2020 was publishing this story. It's a memoir. Memoir is a tough genre to try to crack open because you have to have a good story. It has to be original and it has to be true. So you have to be very honest and vulnerable when you're writing a memoir. Otherwise, it just gets lost in a sea of other memoirs that failed to maybe hit the mark because they weren't maybe as original or Mm. overdone topics. And I knew from a very young age that I had a very interesting story. I grew up in a butcher shop that my mother owned after she divorced from my father at six years old. She came from a very, very wealthy agricultural family. And my father, they were in agriculture too, but they were definitely not as fiscally successful as my mother's family. So going between both homes as I was growing up, you know, you could see this giant fiscal disparity between two families. And my mother was a very strong woman. You'll get to know her in the book. She was a take no guff kind of person. She didn't wear makeup. She was a lot of male energy, a lot of male energy, very assertive. And I learned a lot from her. So we didn't get along very well though. She was quite abusive as I was growing up and I just became another traumatized young teenager looking to find a place to root down and call home. And a succession of wild events happened in my life that led me to be a exotic dancer at a very young age. I kept it a secret from everybody in my family because I was working a few hours away from my small, sleepy prairie hometown (laughs) until I needed to be rescued from Bolivia because I found myself in deep trouble and deep danger with a uh, potentially about to be trafficked situation, maybe where you got there and you're going to be disappeared for good kind of thing. So In the book as well, it opens up with that chapter. It's actually called Escaping Bolivia. So with the structure of my book, I started with that big hook in the beginning. And then I bring the reader all the way back to the beginning of how a young country farm girl from Canada could find herself in these instances. So it's quite a fascinating read. I think uh, 
I think you'll like it. Love it. Awesome. Do you know, I, I we have a lot of people on this podcast and every single time we have someone that shares their actual story, I'm always blown away by the fact that everyone has these amazing things that have happened in their lives. It's always a bit more interesting than the person that's telling you to eat more chia seeds, isn't it? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And through with this process too, I mean, obviously there's cathartic, it's healing, and you're going to go on a journey. And I have the lens of 20-year buffer to write about it. It took me three years to write it. I'm almost 43. I started when I was about 39 and a half. And the story ends when I'm 21. So I leave all the readers on a cliffhanger as I'm cresting out of that industry and cresting into university with a pocket full of cash. And I came, I saw, I conquered, and I took no prisoners. And at the end, I shut them down. So you don't really know what happened to me for the rest of my life. And that's, everybody always says, well, what happens? Is there going to be another book? Is there a butcher shop girl too? And I said, well, that's my life right now with my husband and my two kids. And I don't know if they're really ready to (laughs) unpack that. Like something should be sacred, but yeah, it was a wild ride for 20 years. And I feel like so many people have an interesting story and they brush it off as no big deal or very nonchalant. And Mm. I just feel like I encourage a lot of people to get into writing. Start with journaling and you'd be surprised what comes back to you and memories. And maybe there's a book in there. Maybe there's a shared value that you could expand on the rest of the world. That would be wonderful. I I think that's the content that people want now. We're we're having a hard time trusting professionals. I think in 2020, that showed us (laughs) like, okay, which doctor do we go with? This one or this one or this expert on this or that one, you know? So... People are kind of bringing it down to reality and wanting to just talk to an individual about their story. Yeah. So I think it was actually probably the perfect time to launch a book right now. Absolutely. Carmen, before we let you go, you've gone from a little girl in a butcher store, exotic dancer, mum, what else do you <laughs> yes. do now? Like- I want to know more about the exotic dancing. <laughs> yes. You got to read the book for that. And you'll see that there was quite a psychological struggle too, because I really liked my body the way it was before then. Mm. And I was always forever disappointed at how topical, you know, males were, how it was just, just visual, just primal. It seemed like they're ruled by that reptilian brain, you know? And I was just like, no, it's got to be more than that because I also spent years as a classically trained ballerina. So I kind of thought, no, I'm going to dazzle them with performance Mm. and quite an excellent performer. So yeah, it helped. It helped a lot. (laughs) Although, you know, I know someone who did classical ballet for a long time and she said she wouldn't let her daughter do it because it was a cattle call. And she said, I hated it. I used to be, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and all they cared about was my body. They didn't care about, Hmm. they'd just line us up and whoever looked the part were the ones that got the part. Yes, that's right. It's a very small margin of error in what they think the, the physical mm. female form should be. So It's a weird world we inhabit as us ladies, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's so, true. so much to navigate. I'm dressed like I'm presenting at a kid's show today. I don't know what happened at 5.30 this morning when I got dressed, but I was like, oh, okay. Can you not? Can you not? Who's got the finger paints? Um, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your book and more about you? You can find it anywhere online. So Amazon in your country will deliver it to you. Uh, Barnes & Noble, it's at Indigo Books. It's thebutchershopgirl.com if you want to learn more about me, my Mm -hmm. book, my brand, my amazing merchandise. 
So yeah, check it out there too. You can always secure the book. And what's cool about ordering the book from my website is that myself and my team, we have a really great function at checkout where we will dedicate it to whoever you specify. Nice. So it's a pleasure to do that. We send kind of a little bit more of a nicer custom package than you would get at the bookstores, obviously. So awesome. um, we also have an audio book that just launched two weeks ago on Audible in 17 different countries. I looked this morning. It is in Australia as well. So you are free to listen. If you don't have time to read, we have a couple of fantastic guest collaborators as well. How good is Audible? Audible's the best. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, how like, good is listening to a book when, you're, when you don't have to like, yeah, do it while you're cleaning, do you can do it while you're cooking, driving, yeah, yeah ignoring your kids. Yeah, yeah I everything. like doing that at school holidays at the moment. <laughs> I'm really down with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, bring on the uh, headphones, I oh, say. Oh, gosh. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us and I can't wait to check out your book. Well, thank you so much, ladies. How fascinating. I love that idea that everyone's story is, um, well, unique, obviously. Sorry, I'm just, it's a bit strange because you can't look at me because you're (laughs) unique. We're just, we're doing that thing in the car where you just sit next to each other and you don't look at each other. Like, see, but in the screen, I can see you. I'm looking at you on the screen. It's just that we turned it off. Anyway, it is very fascinating and everybody has a story and it's not always necessarily to do with their career, which is what is even more normalizing about Mm, the conversation with Carmen. Hey, um, guess what? I already know because we already talked about it. We've got a review. (laughs) (laughs) You're excited. I know. We actually got two, but we're just going to share one now and you'll just have to wait till the next episode. In the meantime, you can put another one on and it might be yours we read out. That'd be cool. All right. So this is what we got. Loved it is the title. Five stars. They took your recommendation. I know. know. Well, most people do because they're smart. I love this one because I read it and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad for you. Anyway, she wrote... Thank you, Kate. I listened to Nat and Cecilia for six and a half hours on a road trip. (laughs) Poor thing. Imagine spending six and a half hours with us. (laughs) I learned so much and had a giggle along the way. I feel like they will become a favourite podcast. Thanks, ladies. I hope so. You're welcome, Kate Camp. Thanks, Kate. Love it. I like that we went on your road trip and I enjoyed the scenery. Yes, Mm. absolutely. Well... Look, let's be honest, we've got some more episodes to record, so we're just going to be on our way. (laughs) (laughs) Things to do, people to see. (laughs) We hope you did enjoy this episode, though. I think it was a, even though we've covered explant, breast implant illness and explant surgery, Mm. Mm. I think this one was a bit different and I'm glad we learned a few new things from last time. Hmm. I think also too, yeah, like you say, when, if you want to listen back to the one we did with Mel Ward, you know, with her, it was, it was about that she was really, really ill and mm. had to get to the bottom of what was causing that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Carmen's story is a bit different. So, yeah, it's um, there's always what well, we're all different. Absolutely. And, uh, things play out in different ways. Anyway, okay, until next time, we hope this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. Listener.